one is in staff and our five is in staff. Hey, I'm going to call from Washington. I am in a situation where the Americans are learning the possible hijack. The craft is erratic again. That plane disappeared on the street. What? The 737? What? Like the world changed. Who are you talking to? Oh, God. Oh, my God. United 175, New York. We have some problems over here right now. We might have a hijack over here, too. You're a sign on an airplane that's been hijacked. Things will go well. I'm looking good. I just want you to know, I absolutely love you. I want you to do good. So happy this time. Uh, thanks to my parents and everybody. And I just totally love you. And uh, I'll see you later. Hi, babe. Oh, my God. So both towers are now. United 93, that traffic for you is 1 o'clock, 12 miles eastbound, 370. Negative contact. We're looking at United 93. United 93, Cleveland, if you hear the center right then. They got that piece of dog. Keep it remaining to be. You have a ball on board. Tuesday, 9.47 a.m. Hi, baby. I'm, baby, you have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I want to tell you I love you. Please tell my children that I love them very much. And I'm so sorry, babe. I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. Five six eight six five. We have a, uh, I believe it is a uh, Boeing seven fifty seven. Can you see him up there, sir? That's concurred. Uh, it looks like he's rocking his wings. Roger. He's rocking back and forth. We're five six eight six five. I advise you stay away from that aircraft. Go north as fast as you can. United nine three. Have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. When did he land? He did not land. Oh, he's down. Yes, yeah, somewhere up northeast of Camp David. Uh, hello, this is episode 21 of the Handcuffs and Sawdust podcast. It is our 9-11 tribute. So thank you for joining us. Brandon is with me, of course, as always. And we have a very special guest today, Jonathan Prescott, otherwise known as JP. He is from Thin Blue Line Radio over in the UK. And he is probably the main reason why we're doing this broadcast today. So welcome, Brandon, and welcome, JP. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike, you okay? Yeah, that's tough. Tough to listen to some of that. Well, all of it, actually. Definitely, definitely. <sighs> all right, so it is the 20-year anniversary. I don't know if this can actually be called an anniversary, because usually anniversaries are fun things. But Not necessarily. It is... We use anniversary when we talk about Pearl Harbor. Once again... Not sure if it's a good term, anniversary, for Pearl Harbor. D-Day, yes, good anniversary, right? Pearl Harbor, 9-11, those kind of things, not so much a, and should be called an anniversary. I don't know. What do you think, JP? Um, 
it's, it's one of them things, and it's it's one particular word encapsulate what happened that day. And I don't think there's a word out there. I mean, I agree. Anniversary, you always assume an anniversary is a good thing, um, but obviously that day, I think one of the one I think one of the broadcasts said that it a, a day that started terrible has just got worse and worse and worse, and that's all that day seemed to do. It just got worse as the day went yeah. on. Yeah, we all know where we were, what we were doing, and that's what we're going to discuss. We're going to try and pay tribute to all the brave men and women of law enforcement, fire, EMS, and the people in those buildings, all the victims that were in those buildings, people trying to help all the people, innocent people running in, anyone that was involved. Of course, that's what we're trying to pay tribute to. So we're not going to do our standard show where we talk about our weeks. This is strictly just a a look back at 9-11 since it's been 20 years. And we're going to find out from Brandon where he was and what kind of an impact that had on him. You have heard in the past episodes where he spoke about it a little bit. And we're going to talk to JP about what kind of impact 9-11 had on him overseas in the UK because it, it reached across the world. So... Uh, we can start off with, uh, first of all, Brandon, how are you doing today? So I'm I good, always Mike. Have to ask. You're good. Good. How are you? We're both up during the day. You've got sunlight coming in in your face, so that's amazing. It's a beautiful day out here, too. We're not used to that. So Yeah. We, we, need, to, we need to make this one a quick one because I want to go back out and enjoy the day. <laughs> so I have just ensured that this is going to be a three-hour episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we'll just read the lame, names of the uh, people and just go then. We're done. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Here are the names of the people that died. And if you weren't said before, you are now. Right. <laughs> I actually, uh, the reason we're doing this episode, I think we were going to do something. I had thought about doing some type of a tribute, but JP had reached out to me several months ago when he was putting together his podcast and asked if I would join him and asked if you would join him. So this all was placed into motion probably about two and a half months ago, right, JP? Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was about two months ago when I, I reached out and said this was the the idea I was thinking of. Um, and just to basically link in, we are just, uh, like like we're doing today, is just to get different opinions and different situations of what was going on from, uh, from both sides of the fence, really. So we know where Brandon's from, but... Not many people know who you are, JP, other than a podcaster. So I'm a big fan of the work that you're doing in the UK. And so is Brandon. So is Brandon. We've spoke about your podcast several times. Yeah. And if you could let everybody know who you are, where you're from, as much as you can, because we kind of keep our departments on the down low here, and uh, what your what Thin Blue Line Radio is all about. Yeah, Um Right, I'll take it away. Uh, John, uh, it's Jonathan Prescott, but I always feel like my mum's telling me off when they say Jonathan. So it's either JP or John. <laughs> but um, everyone knows me as JP. I've been serving in the UK Police Service for eight years, uh, and I was a voluntary officer for four years previous to that. Um, in the last couple of years, a lot of welfare and well-being issues for myself um, with regards to back issues, injury on duty. Um, last year, whilst I was recovering from injury on duty, um, my dad unfortunately passed away suddenly. So there was a lot going on at the time. Um, and I literally just sat, um, when my back issues started to flare up again, I just sat there and I thought, wouldn't it be great to to get something out there so that 
people in my situation where you feel a little bit detached from everything because you've got a lot going on. Um, in our world here, we have any welfare or well-being, we tend to go to our supervisor. So a line manager will then raise it up and then it goes up. It tends to stay with your line manager because they want to manage it as best they can. And then if nothing's happening, it gets raised up. And I thought a lot of the time when you're bringing up the welfare and the well-being and you have to meet and discuss things, you've got a lot of rank in front of you. So you've got sometimes inspectors or chief inspectors meeting with you or all your sergeants. So you've got a lot of people with things on the shoulders sat in front of you. Um, so I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a platform where people don't feel that by erring how they feel and where things are going um, and it sort of spiralled on from that where I just sent a tweet out uh, saying what would people think about this and people jumped on it straight away and was like it'd be great, it's more of a, a peer support group where you can talk to each other, talk to people up and down the country um, and then a lot of professional bodies started reaching out and as I'm sat there, I had a little notebook, and I've still got the notebook here, uh, and I'm scribbling ideas down, what I can do, and I'm thinking, what if we act as um, one of the old ushers from the cinemas with the little with the little torchlight and they'd show you to your seat? Why don't we do that? Where if we get people who are supporting what we're doing and what we want to do, um, so then we have <coughs> um, memorial trusts coming in. Uh, we've got a, a thing called Red Arc, where, where some of the fed our federation, which is our staff association for police our federation pays into it we have nurses on call uh, councils on call so i just started reaching out to all these people um and i completely underestimated it because it just grew and grew and grew to a point where we created the website we put ourselves on instagram facebook the emails the the twitter feed was getting filled with people saying yeah we want to jump on board and help out um and then it's just gone from there where all these people are on board and i'm thinking if we have people who come on and say this is my issue we've identified a gap here if we get each force and each federation in the same room and say look a gap's been identified which is going to be to the detriment of a bobby's welfare it's going to be to the detriment of someone's well-being can we plug that gap and then after all that sorted and we've got the force working on it we've got the federation working on it we can then turn to a trauma counselor or turn to a charity that has these councils and pays them through their charitable trust and everything and say this is the guy's details, get in touch with him because he just needs someone to speak to. Um, but as I say, it, I completely underestimated the project when I started it. Um, and I remember one of the guys that I got in touch with, he said, did you not think about doing it locally first instead of nationally? And I was like, well, that was something that I didn't think about and now I wish I did. <laughs> hey, yeah, usually everyone thinks on a big scale, yeah. not so much a micro scale. And you didn't think it would take off as much as it has, which is it shows that there's such a huge void for you guys over there and for everyone in yep. our industry that your your services that you're offering are needed. And Brandon said last week, you know, with what's going on with your department and them regulating when you can launch your podcast and having you put the brakes on, mm -hmm. he was Brandon made a point where hopefully it doesn't cost someone their life right brandon yeah that's i mean i think we've all dealt with i guess command staff or higher ups thinking they've got a great idea and it always comes at the detriment of somebody else and it's usually somebody line level or boots on the ground level that you know they're the ones that end up suffering because of it like jp's podcast does a great job 
of connecting people with resources that could, I mean, it's not hyperbole, could literally save their life. And if if people want to get in the way of that, I honestly think that they could stand to suffer some sort of liability or wrongful death case if someone does, God forbid, take their own life because JP show is not on the air because they deem it out of policy. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to fathom. So where are you now with the efforts of getting it back up and running? Um, we're up to it at the minute is... We're coming to the end of the period. Uh, we have a tw- and our policy stipulates twenty eight days, so um, um, we call it a business interest. The business interest gets submitted. Um, it goes through the processes command teams to our professional standards department, which looks at the background of officers and investigates officers if there's any wrongdoing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and then it literally goes up to a chief superintendent of that department to say, uh, yet it doesn't conflict with his role. It's not going to conflict with his role as a police officer, it's not going to conflict with his shift pattern. Um, and then we're literally coming to the last seven days, I'd say we've got about seven days before that is up. Um, I do know that they are reviewing the policy, uh, so I don't know what effect that will have on our reviewing. Um, but obviously, we've, I've, I've, we've, I've sought federation advice, uh, and they are basically saying, well, when you submitted the business interest, whatever the policy is then, if it fulfills that policy, then you should be fine. But Because I think the the review's coming up in the next few months. Um, so it's literally the last seven days of finding out whether it's the the yay or a nay. Oh, excellent. Well, here's hoping for yay. Yes, definitely. And you've also branched out and added on to the thin blue line with the thin red line, correct? The thin green line. You have other branches for other types of first responders and military, correct? Uh, yeah, we, we've the last i'd say the last month um we sent out a tweet because uh, we got a lot of people from the ambulance emts and the fire service and so on uh, who expressed an interest oh well can we utilize the resources uh, so that's where thin red line radio and thin green line radio have come from um so we're just in the background we're just sort of getting everything pre- prepared um because of all the halt and the ceasing of everything that we're doing, uh, I've got one of my close friends on the case at the minute, so we're literally doing a revamp. So when we do, eventually, when we do get the go-ahead, um, it's going to be a case of a complete facelift for all the, the the social media, for all the websites to basically say, you know, we've got given the go-ahead, we're here, crack on, um, and hopefully it'll just be a case of clicking publish on the website and the resources are there for all the, uh, the other services as well. Excellent. That's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, we don't. We have a thing at work called the Employee Assistance Program (EAP). So I know Brandon has it. Uh, does your department offer any type of employee assistance programs out by you dealing with the mental health of the officers, or is it each Bobby's on their own to get help outside of the police department? We have our OHU, our Occupational Health Unit. Um, which is uh, a, a sort of like a clinical side of the force, which is uh, one of our headquarters based, um, which is swamped, um, where I know that they're now looking at contracting out to some of the charities that offer the same services that our OHU does because they're that swamped to make sure that the bobbies get what they 
what they need instead of saying, oh, yeah, we've we've referred you through. We've just got to wait for four months. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's going to be a while. So keep those thoughts locked up in your head while we get to it. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's amazing. So I wanted to say thanks for doing what you're doing over there. And especially if it, it grows and goes worldwide, like you've had people reach out to you from other countries. So yeah. if the resources that you're putting together are invaluable to people and all those fields that you mentioned. So good on you. Super. Thank you. I had some other stuff I wanted to ask you since you are in the UK. Uh, some friends of mine asked me some questions, so I'll just forward some questions. <laughs> Go ahead, Brandon. Put that mic back over by you. You got some questions for him? No. I don't want to leave you out of the conversation. I just have some. No, I'm just, just, just waiting. <laughs> You're waiting? Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you're curious, but I'm curious. So I watched some British television. Yeah. And a couple of shows I've seen that I really like, I think I mentioned to you before, uh, Happy Valley, which yes. was on Netflix, right? Yeah. Um, Luther. Uh, with Idris Elba. Elba. Yeah. So... A lot of people, when, when I was watching, I don't know if it was Happy Valley or The Fall, which was not really in the UK, in London, I don't think, but you have armored uh, response vehicles, right? Um, or, or armed, not armored, but armed police officers in certain units, or how does that work with everyone carrying weapons and stuff over there, or not? Um, over here... Um, the, the certain specialists, like for me, I when we get trained, you, you're basic training, you get given your, when I joined it was CS, but now it's Parva because it's cheaper. Um, but that's classed as a Section 5 firearm, um, so we have to get trained every year for that. We get given our baton, um, which, have to, which our casco, we just had new ones with the button on the bottom that you can collapse it down because half the time you're hitting the curb and it's just not going, so you have to put it fully racked back in your belt. Um and the handcuffs, but when you go to specialist departments, like, for instance, I, in the last 12, 18 months, got given my uh, my X2 taser. Um, but when you go to specialists like the ARVs, um, it, I, I'm I, I'm not too au fait with it, but the, it's a very, very rigorous process where you do a lot of evaluations and a lot of fitness tests. And once you've passed those which can go on for several weeks you've then got to go to a course which is for several weeks and going into several months um but they have access to did someone did tell me the other day the guns that they have access to um and i'll be honest with you it completely goes over my head because as soon as they mention the running test for that i just think well that's not one department i'm not going to go to so <laughs> i won't be in an arv anytime soon definitely not um but yeah they get um they get the armored the armored body we get stab proof uh and stab proof stab proof and okay. bullet resistant to the point to up to 0.22 caliber i think it is uh but okay. it's like a it's a gel um so we have that but when you get to the specialist department like the arvs they have the ballistic vests and the ballistic windscreens and the side panels and everything all ballisticed up. Um, but they are in like a centralised unit. So then they will parade on. They'll go to the armoury, get the weapons, and then they're deployable by what we call a force incident manager, um, which is basically someone of the rank of inspector who sits 
in an office with every conceivable policy and plan for a plane crash to a riot to an exp- a, a bomb and he sits in that room and he's got all the radio channels for that force area <laughs> yeah that's a, okay. a lot of information uh, when i went and sat in that room um and he just listens to until someone shouts up and they'll say like the control room to the fim uh, can you look at this incident he'll look at the incident and he will make the decision there and then uh, no, it's only one call. We've only had one call about the guy with a gun or the guy with a knife. Uh, we'll deploy unarmed at the moment. And once the unarmed officers get there, if they just update us and let us know, and if there's anything that they can't handle, withdraw, get back in touch with me, and I'll reassess. In the words of Randy Jackson, that's a no for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> let me know oh. if he's got a gun. <laughs> get back to me when you get on scene. Yeah, like I'll show up with my pistol, and if he's got a weapon, then I'm going to go grab my rifle. <laughs> and that's about as far as like updating people as I'm willing to go. <laughs> We surprisingly we do we do a lot of chatter on the radio um, where we ask a lot of questions. I mean, thinking of one incident in particular where we got asked to go to uh, someone who was swinging some form of weapon round in the street, and we drove around for a couple of minutes, and I shouted up on the radio. I was like, "No," nah. I said, "There's nobody here," uh, but I'll just stay in the area. This is the mistake with me because in in the job that the, the they refer to me as the shit magnet because yes, you have the black cloud. <laughs> yes, and I was. I said, "Oh well, I'll just stay in the area just in case." And you see, all the other patrol cars just slowly doing off because they're like, "JP, staying. Something's going to happen." Oh, uh, and I literally <laughs> turned into the street, uh, and there he was uh, with a huge sword of some kind uh, in the middle of the street, just swinging it above his head, hitting a lamp post. So I drove towards him. Uh, put my klaxons on, put my blue lights on to alert him to hopefully think he'll drop the knife, uh, to which he then ran towards my car with the knife. Uh, so I then tried to run him over. <laughs> um, but he ducked in between the car and run off, uh, and at that point, um, they'd already stood the ARVs down and said, no, send unarmed, you know, we've, we've, we've only had, you know, one random call, uh, but several calls come in uh, and no ARVs were deployed, so I, it was a bit strenuous over the air when I was talking to Finn at that point because he, he was like did he have a weapon and I shouted across the radio of course he had a weapon <laughs> do you count a sword as a weapon then yes he had a because I'm sometimes I, like my black cloud comes and goes yeah so I have I've had something similar where it wasn't a sword that the guy was supposed to be waving around but it was supposed to be like a uh, a stick well someone said a machete and it ended up being a stick and we did the same thing like well we can't find him so like well you know i'll I'll circulate just a little bit more and uh you know i'll I'll update then and turned a corner and sure shit there he was (laughs) but i've learned after three years to maybe just hit the little uh, hit the lights hit the siren just get his attention and if that doesn't make him run off get on the pa system and go put the stick down you idiot (laughs) We talked about doing the whole siren run yeah. on the way over there to give you some time, and maybe he they recalculate their motives or their thoughts or intentions and uh, see if that helps disarm them before we get there. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing that. So I guess the main question was most of you guys aren't 
armed with a firearm. No, no. The, the, the majority of us have our casco or handcuffs and our parva. Our incapacitant spray. That's it. Okay, so... Oh, and you said you are one of the guys that carries a taser. Yes. All right. So not many... Not everybody has tasers. Uh, in the last in the last 14 months, we've had an uplift in taser because our National Federation sort of put a lot on the emphasis of it's a great tool because the media are very, very against it over here in the UK. Um, very against really? it. Yes. The, what What's their theory behind that? Uh, that it's a dangerous it's piece. scary. Of, it looks it, like a yes. gun. Ex ultimately, yeah. Uh, we, we deal a lot in public perception over here, so there's a... A lot of the forces are very risk averse, or that a lot of the forces are very worried about what something will look like. I don't know. For instance, we have another skill which is our pull two, and it's public order training level two. So it's where you get your 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 big helmet, your Arnold baton, the big plastic carbon thing. Uh, they've now removed that off us because it looks too menacing. So we've just got to use our casco in situations where, yeah. And that's the expandable baton you're talking about? Yes, yes. So we, okay. we've removed the Arnold baton now, um, and we have to hand them in, uh, and we just have our normal cascos on uh, Wow. No belts. I usually close mine on a suspect. Yeah. <laughs> After I use it on them. And cue the lawsuit. <laughs> So I know we weren't going to talk about stuff that happened uh, this week, and it, none of this happened to me, but last night, not last night, the night before when I was off, mm -hmm. the neighboring city chased a drunk guy into our city who then crashed and ran off. So our guys responded to help, and one of our guys, they started fighting with this guy. So one of our guys punched him in the head to, like, change his channel because that will it works, right? No, Mike, he delivered a distraction blow. Right, he did. So when he came into work yesterday, everyone's it's like... It's like you've hey. never written a use of force report. Hey, I heard you punch some guy in the head. And, no, no, uh, no. I delivered a distraction blow. And that's what his compliance. He said I had to change his mind, to change his thinking. Yeah. So I, a distraction blow. And then the chief said... Well, obviously, there were wires that were crossed, and he was trying to uncross them. Right. And then the deputy chief said, try not to punch somebody today. And then my buddy Jimmy, who just got promoted to the lieutenant, said to him, no, go ahead, because that guy deserved to be punched right in the head. No, please continue to punch. <laughs> please continue. There I'm are proud people of what that just need to be punched. <laughs> right. So it's an attitude adjustment. But uh, yeah, John uh, so Cena move. John Cena move. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. Can't see me. So. Uh, Cheers to you, man, for not having a firearm, because like Brandon said, hard pass or Randy dog. That's a no, that's a no for me, dog. <laughs> a no for me, dog. <laughs> oh man! All right. Uh oh. That's okay. Oh, there we go. There yeah, is no good. uh oh, Mike. Just roll with it. We're rolling. Not very professional of you. I know. I'm not a very professional. Time there's a glitch. Oh my god! <laughs> that's why. You know, it's funny when I was actually in the television business. One of my favorite sports anchors, I was working the floor and he was at the desk and he brought all the stuff in there. And uh, in a commercial break, you know, he said, hey, Mike, just remember when you're on live TV, shit happens all the time that you can't control and you just need to roll with it. So 
Thank you for your update, uh, JP. Um, what was this show about again? <laughs> this is about 9-11. So oh, okay. apparently... Okay. <laughs> Mike's like gonna, a dog chasing a squirrel. We're going to get there. Are uh, we, Mike? We're going to get there right now because it's time, Brandon, that you tell us what 9-11 meant oh. to you and the impact it's had on your life. Well, so 9-11 is probably the single most impactful moment from I'm going to say from my childhood because I'd say becoming a dad was probably a little bit more impactful as far as the person I am today um, but 9-11 sh- shaped every decision I made up to that point so I was a freshman in high school I, I it's weird it's you know there's some days that like you remember every aspect of it 9-11 is one of those days for me so I remember, one, it was a Tuesday. Two, I remember it was overcast all day. Like, it just had a sad feeling to it. Even before we knew the extent of what had happened in New York, like, it just it had a heavy feel to it. So I remember waking up, uh, like I mentioned, I think, last week, like, I'm an old soul. I listen, you know, I'm like an old man. I listen to sports talk radio as opposed to regular music 99% of the time. And... They mentioned, you know, hey, we're aware of other things going on in the world, like a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. And I remember thinking, oh, that like space needle looking thing in Seattle? Because I was 14 and didn't know what the hell the World Trade Center was. So before I left, just out of curiosity, I flipped on CNN because I figured, well, that's got to be a fairly big news story. And back in 2001, CNN was still a credible news source. So turned it on, see the smoke billowing out, and go wake up my mom before I leave and say, hey, something big's kind of happening in New York. Like a plane flew into a building and just went about my day. Get to school. Um, during the time from from point that I left my house to point that I got to school, uh, the second plane had hit. And that's kind of when people were starting to put together that, hey, maybe this isn't just a tragic accident because, I mean, what are the odds? Two planes into neighboring buildings and a footprint that small. So now we're starting to put stuff together. And uh, I got to my first period class and it was, she had, the teacher had uh, like news radio kind of on in the background but she's like, no, we're going to still press on. Like it's all the way in New York. Yeah, sure, it's something that might be major but it's not it's not directly affecting us right now. Um, went to my second period class, and in that time span, the plane had hit the Pentagon, and that's kind of when, like, once that one happened, everyone knew, hey, that, like, shit's real. America is under attack. So I get to my second period class, and that's when both towers fell. So I remember sitting in my English class, watching both towers fall, and the teacher telling us the world just changed. Um, at the time, I was playing football. So, you, you know, you still go out through, throughout the day. United 93 goes down in the uh, Pennsylvania field. Everyone's kind of in this fall. Everyone just, it like top to bottom, was just kind of disjointed. Um, it's the quietest lunch my high school campus has ever had. And 
my football coach at the time was not a former Marine because I guess there are no former Marines. Everyone's a Marine till death. Um, I remember him telling us that you guys will most likely be the ones that hold whoever's responsible for this accountable. You guys are going to be the ones that choose to go into the military, that are going to be sent to war, that are going to avenge however many people just died today. And that, that really stuck with me. Um, so then as kind of the days go on, and we learn that, okay, yes, it was a planned terror attack by some some person named Osama bin Laden. Um, it, especially the guys that I played football with, played baseball with. Um, we, I don't know why, because none of us had a connection to New York. Uh, we took it personally, you know. Um, and I remember being in a truck full of us going to a Marine recruiter station and saying, sign us up. Well, how old are you? Old enough? <laughs> um, basically trying to to enlist early and then learning that you got to be 17 and then your parents have to sign it off. And um, there ain't no way in hell that was happening. So we watched a lot of it unfold um, on the news. And I think from my, from my graduating class, I would say... F- 25% of the class uh, enlisted in the military at some point in time, either directly after high school or some of us waited a few years and then went in. Um, but I remember throughout high school, every major paper, every major research paper I had to write uh, focused on some aspect of 9-11. From United 93 to I think I might be the only person under the age of 40 that's not working for the federal government that has read the entire 9-11 commission report, um, it will put you to sleep. It's very dry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it. the whole reason I went into the military. I mean, yeah, I have kind of a family background in it. Both my grandpas were, were in the military. But 9-11 is the, the sole reason that it pushed me there. I mean, I... I had a cousin who was a linguist at the time 9-11 happened. He spoke, um, well, him and his wife were both in. One of them spoke Farsi, one of them spoke Arabic. And my cousin was in task. He re-enlisted on September 12th. He had planned on getting out. Re-enlisted September 12th, uh, got tasked to the Pentagon and was uh, translating intercepted recordings of Osama bin Laden. So I've heard his voice. So he, he, if I think the statute of limitations has passed, but he was like, "Here, I'm not supposed to let you look, like hear this, but this is what this is what evil sounds like." So um, I remember being in the military the day that uh, Bin Laden was killed, and I remember hours before it was announced, our threat condition level was elevated. So since 9/11. The threat condition has never gone back to what it was on September 10th. The military has always operated one level higher because of 
the day that we got Bin Laden, randomly in the middle of it, we went up to, we jumped two levels. And everyone kind of was like, well, that's odd. So either there's, a, everyone figured there's either an attack that's planned that we're waiting on, or we got him. And then slowly about an hour before um, Obama did his gangster walk to the podium, uh, we kind of got word that a, uh, a, a team of special operators had taken out bin Laden. So that's kind of, I guess, in a nutshell, my experience with 9-11. Uh, I know I mentioned last week I drive on a freeway where that's the approach path for all commercial airliners into a major airport. And every time I see them coming kind of over the downtown horizon with the buildings kind of in front of them, I get anxiety. I like to this day, like I get a quick little bout of anxiety, even though I know they're going to go right over it and go land over at the airport. So I think it's completely changed. Well, I'm, I know it's completely changed how we operate just as people, but there's also a very distinct difference in people who were born and understood what was happening and understood the magnitude of that day versus people who have been born since then. It, it's a very stark contrast in just the type of people. Um, people there are in the, the way we think. So that that's my kind of experience on 9-11. Thanks. I, I know what you said, the way people think when you the people that sort of were around when that happened that have memories of it so much different than the people who like my children were too young you know i seven and five i think when that happened so they don't have any recollection of that but it, when i was growing up the generation before me right they had to deal with pearl harbor so now this is our unfortunate pearl harbor and hopefully our kids' generation, they don't have one of their own here in, in the uh, States, but it's that's I, not, I, those aren't I good can, odds. I can all but guarantee you there will be at least some sort of attempt on the homeland within, I would say probably within this presidential administration. Almost, a, I could I'd almost be willing to bet an entire paycheck on it. Yeah. So, JP, you're all the way across the pond, as they say, and this event had a huge impact on you as well. If you could uh, share that with us, that'd be fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, well, uh, at the time, I was 19, just a few months shot off 20, uh, and I was at work because the time difference for us is... I think for us in New York, is it five hours, six hours? Something like that. It's five hours. Um, so when it happened at quarter to nine, it was the afternoon. And we was, uh, at the time, I was in um, like a support worker role. So we, I was caring for people who'd had acquired brain injuries. Uh, and it was basically support workers to get them back into daily living skills and things. And we had case conferences in the afternoon. Uh, but that 
same week, that same period leading up to those appointments, we had um, guests from Texas and guests from Florida come over uh, because the, the the whole ethos around our company was, it come from a, a place in Texas called Tangram, uh, which was a by Dr. Stan Seaton, who created uh, a, a daily living life schedule and uh, one of our clinical psychologists brought it over to England. So he guested them over and they said, we're going to have some guests in this afternoon. Um, and we started approximately about 10 o'clock in the morning and by two o'clock in the afternoon, you can imagine that everyone is like, right, it's getting it's quarter past two, it's half past two, I'm only in till four and everyone's getting, the, the ones where they're at the back and you can see them closing their eyes and you just see whoever's next to them nudging them, they're waking up again. Um, and all of a sudden, one of the families uh, got up, phone rang, got up, left the room, come in, spoke to a husband, uh, got up, left the room. Uh, then one of them come in and spoke to the couple from Florida. Um, the lady got up, burst into tears and run out the room. So we're all sat in the room going, "What? something's going on here. Uh, and then our company director, our managing director said, right, we're going to have to stop the meeting, guys, uh, because we've just had word that a, uh, a plane has hit the World Trade Center in New York. The first thing, a lot like with Brandon, I looked at the guy who was sat next to me and I went, what's the World Trade Center? And he was like, I don't know. And I said, all right. And he said, uh, and we're estimating that 50,000 people are dead. So then I looked at the guy and I just went, oh, it must be a big building then. I said, if that many people have been... So with that, we sort of like started tightening it up and tying things up and... We walked out of the room, and as I walked out of the room, one of the clinical psychologists come walking past, and he said, I'm going to go and switch the news on in the in the lounge area. So we walked in. Uh, we got distracted with one of the clients. Was Something was going on with one of the clients, so we got distracted with him. So it took about four or five minutes to walk, literally from three feet, because there was something going on. And I opened the door to the lounge, um, and the first thing that I saw was the, the ball of fire. So I was like, oh, wow, I said, oh, my word. But everyone in the in the, the lounge area was like, oh, my God, what is going on? So I was like, oh, my God, is that what's happened? And they were like, no, that's the that's the other tower. So that's when I realised, because I said to the clinical psychologist, what is the World Trade Centre? And he said, it's basically the financial district, two big towers, like 100 storeys high. So that's when I realised what I was looking at. Um, and that's when one of the girls said to me, another plane's just hit the second tower. So at that point we was glued um so we we because i was on an early shift i had already handed over my work to the afternoon shift so i literally was glued at the television um and i think that was i think after about half an hour um we was in and out and trying to i was trying to phone my dad uh, and i was saying dad where i and he said well i'm at the Vauxhall plant he said but the plant's just been closed down he said they've shut it down and said you know, go home. So I said, right, well, when you come past my work, pick me up. And he said, yeah, yeah, not a problem. Um, and that's when I walked back in and that's when you saw the, the I mean, the the sight of people jumping out the towers. Um, and I had to walk out the room at that point because I just said, I said to the people in the room, I can't sit there and watch that. Um, so with that, I think it was about an hour after that, I was popping in and out and people coming out saying, um, the Pentagon's been it now, something like the, the And I was like, this has got it. I said, there's always rumours, there's always things that something's happened and, you know, let, let, let's wait until the new... And as I'm saying that, 
uh, it was Sky News, I think it was Kay Burley, uh, turned around and said, we're now getting uh, these live pictures in, and it was billows of smoke coming out of a building, and I'm like, see, I said, it's just the bottom of the towers, and when I realised, I was like, oh, shit, no, that's actually the Pentagon. And it was only then that I actually thought, what is going on? Um, so then I started... Uh, get on the internet and I was like looking for news head, head, headlines in London and the people were like why are you looking at London when it's and I said well I'm telling you now I said if that is a coordinated attack I said there has got to be something going on in cities all around us I said if it's that big I said there's got to be something else going on um, and that's when my dad come and picked me up so we got in the car drove down we stopped at the traffic lights and I'll never forget this bit um, it was like people say who, who were in New York it was absolutely roasting that day here. It was so hot. We had all the windows of the, the conference room open. It was absolutely roasting. So I had the window down and we stopped at the traffic lights and there was a guy uh, in a white transit van sat next to me with his window down, his arm out, and he's talking to his mate um, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And I had the radio on and he leaned out of his window and he went, mate, do us a favour. He said, my radio's not working. He said, turn that up. And I turned it up and I was like, I said, I can't believe that like the Pentagon's been it now. And he was like, what, the Pentagon? And he, and he turned around and he was like, he said, this is war this, mate. He said, this is going to be war this. Um, and I literally got home, uh, walked in the living room. I think I walked in the living room because we had to come through the back in our house at the time. So we parked the car at the side of the house, went in the back, come through. And my mum was ironing. Uh, and I always forget, I always remember that she was ironing because I don't know if you remember the 7th of July bombings over here on the, the tube. Um, when I heard about that, because my friend had heard about it and texted me and said, put the news on, my mum was ironing that day as well. So I've always told her, don't iron. Um, and that was when I walked into my mum and I said, put the, put the telly on. And my mum completely oblivious. And I'm thinking, this has been going on for two and a half hours now. And she was like, uh, no, leave the telly on. I've got my music on while I'm ironing. And I was like, no, I said, you need to turn the telly on. And she was like, why? And I said, because what's happening in America? I said, I said this is going to have an impact on us as well. This is going to have an, an impact, I said, across the world. And I remember looking at my dad and I just said, this is going to change the world, this. And he just went, absolutely, said, the world's already changed. What's going on? Um, and that's when I switched the TV on. Um, and it was the, I think it was about an hour after that, when you was you know in and out and you're on the phone and things like that and then just watching the news and watching the towers collapse and then they showed pictures of the pentagon collapsing and i think i was actually off the following day um, and i stayed up till quarter past seven the following morning with sky news on on the telly just watching it um and even to this day my mum my mum like says to me when i talk about 9 11 because for me I, I really struggle watching certain documentaries about it um, because some of the things that you see in, in our line of work and you just think, how can another human just go out there to purposely inflict so much harm on someone that you don't know and they, they leave them in some horrific state? Do you know what I mean? And it's, I, sometimes I can't fathom that where people get glassed in Liverpool, in, in the local city centre and they'll glass someone and the face is hanging off and I look and you'll deal with it I mean I'm not good with blood and people laugh at that uh, but I just go into work mode sometimes and you mop them up and you do whatever and then afterwards I always think oh my god I can't even eat I can't even, after dealing with that I can't eat 
But then I think and I think to myself, how anyone can hurt someone they don't know for no reason. Um, so for me, the aftermath. My mum's my mum's always said that day's always affected you. And I said sometimes things happen in your life. Um, like for my mum, it was when um, and my mum was only a young girl, but she seen the distress that my grandparents were in when John F. Kennedy was shot. And she can tell me everything she did on that day, and she was a little girl. And she can even remember the conversation that my granddad had with me, Dan. Um, and for me, I said to her, I said, that is a pivotal part of my history. Because what happened on that day in my lifetime, I said, we will be dealing with that and the aftermath of that for the next 30 years. I said, so that is going to be something that we always go back to where something else happens and it's like well why has this happened well do you remember that that happened in 2001 um but yeah there's in a nutshell even though we was on completely opposite sides of of the ocean it's i've always had an infinity for the emergency services i've always wanted to be a policeman uh, i got into the care industry and i was there for about 12 years 13 years uh, and then I made the decision, no, I want to go into the emergency services. Uh, and it did t- it did take a couple of years because of the freezing in the um the freezing of the recruitment and things like a lot a lot was going on. But th- I think the one thing that I can never get out of my head is when you watch the towers come down, and even when you watch documentaries nowadays, and I said to the people in work the following day, uh, the following week, no matter what was going on, even if you didn't know them towers were coming down, even if you didn't know that something bad wasn't going to happen, them guys still put their jackets on, they put their hats on, they put their belt kits on, and they went down there. People who were off and it was like, we need to recall everybody, without hesitation, got the stuff on and went down there. Um, and it, it, for me, it was it was inspiring but even to this day there's there's certain documentaries that I'll watch it for a certain point and then when I know something's coming up and I'll sort of have to leave the room and just go I'll go make a brew keep it playing but I'll go make a brew because there's some of it that I just can't face because it's so upsetting so upsetting yeah that's every time every year when they play kind of images from that day there's always one that they play time and time again. It gets me every single time. It's uh, the elevated view. You see Tower 1 on fire, smoke billowing out, and then you see the plane come and slam into Tower 2 and the fireball come out the back. And like you were saying, uh, I had that that moment too of like man, just the remarkable courage of people to see that. And say, get your stuff. We're going in. That's the job. And, like, it, and I had that moment when um, when the active shooter kicked in. I mean, there were guys that were off duty, like straight up clocked out, geared up, and went in mm-hmm. because that's and, and it's u- universal across. It doesn't matter if it's in America, if it's in the UK, if it's in France or wherever. When you're in this line of work, you understand that when the chips are that's that's why we get paid what we get paid when the chips are down we go we're not 
we're not being paid for the you know settling a neighbor dispute or the fireworks call they pay us so that when the big one hits you grab your gear and you go but that's it's one thing I've always wondered especially with um, the UK because in America everyone was pissed off it was like all right let's hunt down like I still think one of the most beautiful days in America's history is September 12th, 2001. Because it didn't matter, you know, if you're a Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, didn't matter if you were white, black, Hispanic, Asian, purple, guy, girl, straight, gay, didn't none of that mattered. All that mattered was that we find the SOBs who did this and we hunt them down. So I my curiosity was in the UK were people kind of sitting there going, holy crap, what is America going to do? Or was it like, man, that sucks for them. What, what can we do to help them? I'm kind of curious, like what was more so than the national response or reaction in the UK seeing a country, the stature of America hit? very much so very much so like like over there straight away everyone that I spoke to and I don't think I spoke to anyone that said oh well you know it's nothing to do with us we need to get out of it everyone that I spoke to was like no this affects us we need to all get together and we need to march in wherever they are and we shouldn't leave until we get the person that's responsible for it absolutely it's, it was just we need to sort it out it's, it's not something that you can that you can just do solo. So quite a lot of the people that that you know I, I, I spoke with and, and my whole philosophy around it was we need to get the people, we need to partner up with all these, as they say, coalition forces. We need to get together and just go in and find out who's done and, and, and get them. It was, it was absolutely shocking, shocking scenes. So, Mike, you were working, right? Yeah, yeah, I was um, two years on the job back then. So, we, I was on midnights. Uh, we were doing, I think we were still rotating. So every 28 days, we flipped schedules. So that, I believe that was the time. I did a short stint of midnights for like eight months where we went to permanents after we rotated. But in either case, I was on nights. And back then it was just eight hours, so 11 to 7. And when in Monday night, so our we worked six days in a row and then we were off two. So my days off that week were going to be Tuesday, September 11th, and Wednesday, September 12th. And worked my midnight shift, was driving home. I lived 26 miles from work, so... You know, a good 30 minutes on the expressways listening to sports talk like you. That's mostly all I listened to. And I was actually listening to Mike and Mike out of New York, ESPN, well, Bristol. So they're out on the East Coast and listening to their show. And Mike Greenberg broke into the broadcast and said, you know, we just got word that some type of a plane has hit the World Trade Center. And even they said, you know, it must be a small plane. I mean, maybe a pilot got ill or had a 
some type of an incident that would cause them to hit a building. It's a small private plane, like a Cessna or something. I think they were thinking, not a jet. So I was actually just pulling into the parking lot every day. I would get off work and go to the local convenience store, get my newspaper, because I used to read the newspaper back then, and something to snack on or whatever. So he had said that as I was pulling into the parking lot of the of the grocery store. And I thought, wow, that's weird. You know, so I went in, grabbed my newspaper, and literally it was just two minutes to my house from that point. So got in the car, drove home. Uh, that house, uh, the basement was finished. I had a big screen TV down in the basement. So I just grabbed my paper, and like you, I wanted to see what the hell they were talking about. So at that time, CNN, right, there was no Fox News or anything else. I turned on CNN. And I was sitting down there watching the smoke and stuff and trying to figure out what that doesn't look like a small plane, you know. And then I saw the second plane come and hit the building. And I give it. You're looking at something going. That didn't just happen. Yeah, there's no way I just saw that on television. Mm -hmm. You know what F is going on and listening to the news people go a second plane just hit the tower and I'm like what it was still you know I couldn't it wouldn't register with me and I was 35-ish back then and yeah 35 and watching that I didn't the last thing in my mind was that we were going to be in a, in a war or someone was attacking us. And I remember I, I, I was home all day. My kids, I think, like I said, they were five and seven. So maybe my wife had taken them in the morning already to this, wherever they went, preschool or whatever the hell it was. I don't even remember because I didn't move. I sat down in my basement no natural light whatsoever. You know, I had, when I did the basement, I had covered up the windows because we had this whole big theater thing. So I'm just sitting down there with one light on in the dark, watching the television and watching the, the attacks unfold. And then, you know, the Pentagon and then flight 93. I literally from nine in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, I just stayed downstairs. I called my wife and said, are you coming home? She's like, why? You know, and it was right after the second one. And I said, well, apparently we're under attack and I would like you to come home, you know? And uh, she's like, no, I'm not coming home for a while. So I don't remember guys, if she actually came home early or what, because I was just, it. I don't know anybody there in New York. I didn't know any of the police officers and any firefighters. But it just fucked me up, you know, like you guys. I was already doing the job, and there's a reason why, you know, I do this job. I want to help people. So like JP said, they can't, sometimes it's hard to fathom why someone wants to hurt someone. And in this case, because of our religious and political views, you know, someone 
one group of people don't like us, don't like the Americans, don't like what we stand for, don't like the fact that uh, we can do this, right, in the UK and in the US and we can travel and do whatever the hell we want because guys like you, Brandon, fought for our country to give us this right to, to be free and some people don't like that. And I was, luckily I didn't have to go to work that night or the next night. And like you said, the 12th was, you know, an amazing day across the United States. And when I went back to work on the 13th, we work right next to the airport. And I've told you before, when we interview people, we have to pause because planes are going over our head. And at one point in our city, we're on the eastern side of the airport, an international airport, by the way, whom, when I was training my buddy Chris, who came from Poland, and I took him to this one lot, parking lot, which is right off runway 27 left at O'Hare. Literally, the plane comes over your head maybe 100 feet, not even, no, not even probably 60 feet above the cars and it goes over a major road and then into, into the runway. And I took him there because I, I take my, in the past, the lot's been reconfigured and there's a business there, but I've, I used to go there and take my kids there, take my wife there, watch the planes come in, take pictures, all that stuff. And he said to me, this would this would never be like this in Poland. You don't have any access to the airport for cars to be sitting under a runway in Poland. And he he started after 9-11. But he was horrified just by the fact that here comes a plane that's 60 feet above our heads coming over roads where cars are traveling. And then where he's from in Poland, there's no roads that run along the airport where planes can come over or be anywhere near civilians. I guess that's what he told me. So I was so used to that whole atmosphere. I actually lived in the town where I police when I was younger. I, it was my first apartment, and I moved to that town this where I work. And you get in the habit of every 45 seconds, and I'm not exaggerating. It's an international airport. It's really busy. Every 45 seconds, you're just, you find yourself reaching for your TV remote, and you just turn up the television, and you hold it up. And then the plane goes over your apartment and you lower the television and you put the remote down and then 45 seconds later, you pick up the remote and, and it's like automatic, right? So when I went back to work on the, on the 13th, the first thing I noticed, there's no planes in the air. It takes you literally 10 minutes of being at work in my police department before you hear a plane. So not seeing or hearing a plane because I don't live near the airport. I'm 30 miles away now, and I was 26 miles away then. So not, not under a flight pattern, only when I'm at work. And it was the eeriest thing I'd ever felt or seen. And I, I remember my buddies and I were like, hey, let's go into the airport and talk with CPD, Chicago Police Department guys, because they had everything barricaded off. You couldn't get – a civilian car couldn't get anywhere near the airport. They hit, we have there's exit ramps off one of our main highways that goes into the airport. All those were blocked by squads and barricades. And then as you go further into the airport, there's more barricades and 
you know, officers blocking the roads going into the airport. So obviously being in a squad, I just get to go drive around all that shit, right? Because that's what we do. This is our job. And uh, I went right down into the airport and spent hours just talking with CPD guys that had been on the job for a while and guys much older than me that had been on the job because most of the officers at O'Hare are in their 20, 25th year because that's their retirement post, if you will. That's where they go to be retired on duty. And we just shared, you know, our feelings. I don't know a lot of those. I don't know a lot of those guys personally, but we felt like family then, you know, and it's, we just wanted to have the comfort of each other after everyone watched it and especially what we do. And then for months, guys, you know, I, I remember going to calls for service at hotels, fire alarms, all that kind of stuff, and people lining up outside the hotel because of a fire alarm and they got to evacuate and they just lined up outside clapping for the firefighters and the police officers that went in. You know, stuff that you don't see anymore because people take it for granted, the jobs we do. So, and that year in 91 or 2001, I believe the Blackhawks had the NHL all-star game, if I'm right. And 91, yeah, no, 2001. I thought we had the Blackhawks game. And I just remember one national anthem that was so chilling because everyone was waving American flags. And like you said, the unity of the country hasn't been the same since. It's a shame that it took that event to bring the country together. And I hope I never have to see another event like that. And we can find a way to gel and unite a different way. But um, it didn't. I was already working in the field, but I, I tell you what, I felt bad that I couldn't get in a car and drive to New York and help our brothers and sisters in, in law enforcement and fire um, with the rescue mission. And I always felt bad that or I didn't know what, I didn't understand why it, it hit me so hard because I didn't know anybody. But it's a very traumatic experience, and there's two things that I remember. One, the show Rescue Me with Dennis Leary. The very first episode, he's talking to the new recruits, you know, and he says, I'm not a fucking hero. Those guys are fucking heroes. Don't call me a hero. I'm not a hero. Those guys are heroes. And then, <clears throat> do you want the show... You know, that they're dealing with the whole... I know it's a show, but it, it was so steeped in reality of what these families and firefighters and police officers must have been going through where one of the lieutenants goes to a group support, right? 9-11 survivor group support. He's the only fucking person in the group that actually was impacted by it personally. Lost members of his fire department when the other people in the group... We're just people that watched it on TV. And to him, he's like, what the fuck is your problem? I lost someone in it, and you just watched it on TV. And it was kind of funny, but you know what? In a, 
those people like me who just watched it on television and don't have a personal connection to anybody who was a victim, it still hurt and still does to this day. So I don't think you have to be involved in it to be affected by it. And obviously by you two guys, I would have run out and joined the military had I been 18, Brandon, because of this event. And if I wasn't a police officer, I would have run out and tried to become a police officer after this event. I mean, it's one of those things that would have driven me to do that. I just happened to be a police officer at the time that it happened. Well, I think I think the reason why, like going back to that, that scene from the show of, you know, all these people that are there. And when we talk about it, I mean, every every year when it rolls around, I get emotional. Like I, I'm more or less an emotional wreck the entire day because I think people kind of start to realize that that day we watched 3,000 people die. We, we saw it happen live on air. But then, like, it, like you guys said, like, I, I can't fathom why somebody would try to hurt somebody for, for no reason. So that's, I started digging into it and trying, trying to understand the ideology behind it and everything. And if you trace it back, it goes back kind of starting in the 80s with the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan to then our depart or our helping helping the Mujahideen and then our departure from Afghanistan in the eighties. Then a, a lot of people forget there was an attack on the World Trade Center in I think it was ninety three. There was a truck bomb detonated in the basement. It didn't have the intended effect. That was planned and orchestrated by Osama bin Laden. The attack at the uh, Kobar Towers, which was um, a military installation orchestrated by Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, to then the attack on the USS Cole in 2000, orchestrated, carried out by Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, Taliban. All this stuff built with the goal of attacking America on America's homeland for perceived slights for our lack of helping or or siding with and long-term support of bin Laden after the Soviet invasion. So that's why I think a lot of people now in America and quite frankly worldwide have been so dismayed by the images that we're seeing out of Afghanistan with the Taliban retaking control and the way that America left things is 20 years later nothing changed which isn't fair because there's a whole generation of young women in that country or came from that country that are educated they can read They've left that country. They've gotten jobs. So, I know I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole here. <laughs> um, but that, it, it's funny. And that's why one of the things I love about history is that you can, you can look at the past and I, you can predict the future. So, by looking back at what happened before in the 80s, I would equate to what's happening now the same thing. I guarantee you we've created at least one other 
bin Laden that will have the goal of attacking this homeland. That's why I say that before this administration is up, what, there will probably be at least a credible threat or a credible attempt at attacking our homeland. Because right now, and you know, JP, maybe you can talk to the perception of what the strength of America or the strength of America's administration is right now. I would argue that this is probably we've got to seem on an international stage the weakest we've seemed in a very long time. I think, I mean, politics-wise, um, there was a time where I used to, I'm, I'm saying I was heavily involved in politics, but I was very much so reading up on things and stuff like that. Um, I was with all the events that's going on at the minute, even I was little, a little bit took aback when the when the the it started breaking on the news. You know, that apparently the Taliban is taking control of this. They're moving towards Kabul airport. Uh, uh, coalition troops are trying to evacuate Afghanistan. We've got planes, and straight away I was sat there thinking, "Why? Well, oh, right, so we we've gone in for these same people who." was a credible a credible threat to the west in general the entire west we have withdrew and basically handing everything on a silver platter to say there you go we've we've done what we can thanks very much and i mean we we're very it's very guarded over here with with the with the the police over here because we have a, a, ter- a term called perder. I don't know if you do. You have perder over there, where if there's a local election or anything coming up, uh, we are basically banned from speaking, from sharing anything that could even intimate who we're siding with and stuff like that. So it's very difficult for us to make comments on political things. But people ask. People have said in the past, like, "What do you think of Donald Trump?" Uh, what do you think of Joe Biden? And all that I say is, look at the guy we've got as prime minister. We, you know, we've got bigger things to worry about. We've got we've got <laughs> Boris Johnson as our prime minister, who, you know, abseiled into a thing waving Great British flags across the skyline of London, wherever he was doing. That's you know, a guy who doesn't like to brush his hair. Yeah, there's a, there's a. <laughs> There's a little bit of me that thinks that he, he's just one of those out there kind of guys. And the thing that I do like about him is he's very straight talking. So if someone says something to him, he'll just say, well, shut up, you idiot. And then there's a big uproar like, oh, the prime minister have said this. And it's like, well, sometimes you need people to be no nonsense and talk about stuff. But in the bigger picture of things, um, I mean, I've I've not really got an opinion. I'll be honest with you. I've not got a, a strong opinion on Trump and I've not got a strong opinion on Biden but I was surprised that that Biden took the stance that he took because I thought wow I really thought he was going to come in and go no you know we've we, it's we've been in there for 20 years it's it's a reaching quickly reaching the 20th anniversary of one of the biggest terror attacks on American soil that didn't only affect us, affected the globe. All right, so Mr. Biden, what are you going to do? I'll withdraw all our troops and just give the, give it back to the Taliban. What? What? 
So, uh, yeah, it was, I was a little bit took aback, and I thought, I really thought there'd have been a phase of, you know, it's difficult for me because I understand that um, people join the army, and I've got a lot of my friends who have strong beliefs of, you know, the army shouldn't have been sent in there, our, our boys have died in vain and stuff like that, and I always put it on the toes of... Well, you've got to think of what them boys who got sent over there, the, the lads that went over there, 90% of them were in the thing of, like you said, Brandon, you you wanted you want to help people, you you joined the army, you wanted to make a difference. I would I would have thought that 90% of them lads that went over there were like, right, let, we need to go and free these people, we need to get this Taliban out, we need to do whatever, whatever. You know, very patriotic about the country where they come from, very patriotic about their homeland there's always going to be the contention of, well, you know, we went in there for the wrong reasons or we went in there on fault, stuff like that. You know, so I've, I'm like 50-50. I always say I'm sat on the fence and people always say you're going to get splinters one day. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think I, I'm I'm the same where I took a back step and I thought, you know, I'm not in a position to say that we should send more troops in because that's not my call and I know that people you know do get killed you know over when they're in war and things like that but i just i was very surprised that we seem to literally hand it back on a silver platter yeah i have no words you know brandon pretty much made a great statement last week about how men and women of the service uh, how they are feeling right now mm-hmm. and i can't speak to it because I, I wasn't part of that group. I'm not part of that group, but I, I respect Brandon's feelings and his sacrifice that he made for our country. And it's a shit show right now. So I don't know. I'm, I have a loss for words right now. I think it comes to the fact of how long, I mean, how long before, and I. I think I'm in the same boat as Brandon here where the, the, there is something big coming. Um, I personally thought that the UK has, has fared very well uh, compared to the attack, obviously, in 2001 on the United States and then, obviously, all the attacks that's happened in France. I think the UK has fared a little bit better, not, not to use a word that people might take offence to it, but I think we have fared a little bit better. But I just think to myself, how long is it before... Is it going to be four years? Is it going to be eight years? Is it going to be 12 years where I'm sat watching the news and then they say, oh, all these atrocities have been created by the Taliban in the last 12 months and, uh, you know, this ISIS-K or whatever letter of the alphabet they want to pass on to them, uh, these are doing atrocious things and we need to go in there and, and it's like, oh, it's a bit of deja vu, this. Why did we leave in the first place then? <laughs> yeah, I, I know we've always been the world police, you know, there's a whole movie made about it. I know. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> One thing I love about JP is all of his uh, pop culture references are right on board with us. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's a big fan of The Walking Dead. Oh. And everything else he loves except the Yankees goes right into my, yeah. you know, likings <laughs> as well. He did actually so. say, if we meet up with Brandon, don't tell, don't tell Brandon you're a Yankees fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aye. 
couldn't even be a National League team. You had to go with American League on top of the fact that it's the Yankees. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I I hope he doesn't wear the Yankee hat though. Oh no! Look you don't have a nuts. Yankees hat, do you? I've I've got. Oh. They're on the they're on the wall in there. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> My daughter's come into the shop looking for some power tools. She's now going to be a guest on the show. <laughs> Big job broke out. Yeah. She heard that. She's okay. going to get the hell out of here really fast. I'm going to turn the, the camera around on her. <laughs> oh, God. She just told me she's putting holes in the wall. That's something Dad always has to fix when See, she moves a, out. That's a situation you might want to stop. <laughs> yeah. I can't. It's too late. She grabbed the drill gun and left. Can't stop it. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. Two hours. She, hey, hey, Dad. Yeah. Dad. I put Dad. one too many holes. Yeah. She's got a swing on her ceiling, like a chair that she put up on the ceiling because she asked me to do it. And I wanted to put um, a nice thick piece of wood screwed in into the joist with three inch screws. Yep. And she couldn't wait. So she just stuck it up there. So how big she, of a drywall patch was that? It, luckily, <laughs> right now, it hasn't fallen yet. She just puts pillows on it. She doesn't sit in it. She wants touch to sit wood, in it. Touch wood quick. <laughs> Time, time out. Hold on. I need to understand this. So she has this swing chair. It's a round chair with yeah, three ropes. I, yeah. And they go up and um, it, it is a bona fide piece of furniture. And it's for decoration? Only because to, it's to not, display pillows? It's not secured properly. So she knows not to sit in it. Then why? I why don't know. put it up? She couldn't wait for me to do it. Well, now she's so. going to have to take the damn thing down. No, you know who'll be it taking back. it down. Well, I know, but it's going to have <laughs> okay. to be brought down just to be put back up. Yeah, I don't know. I just let this it is like do wiping before you poop. It does not make sense. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Good point. Uh, Good analogy. Right. I'm Good I'm analogy. full of just <laughs> wonderful highbrow <laughs> insights. I, I actually said something to my buddy Dan the other night that he hadn't heard. Do you use long eye? I didn't use long eye. It wasn't law enforcement reference at all. It was a life reference. And we were talking about relatives and some of our relatives who have taken the wrong turn at some point, you know, in life. And I said to Dan, because I had heard this from someone and I don't know who it was. It might have been my grandpa. And grandpa said, because he was talking about the actions of some one of his family members and it's not so favorable and he's worried about this person and I said to him if you hang out in a barbershop long enough eventually you're going to get a haircut so this person's hanging out with people that they shouldn't be hanging out with and eventually they're either going to be doing the drugs or doing whatever those people are doing so he's like can I take that and I'm like yeah pretty sure my grandpa gave it to me so go ahead and use it <laughs> you're a father like, now that sounds like a grandpaism. It's a good one, though, right? I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to the barbershop every day just to hang out, but eventually you're going to get in that chair and get your hair cut. So if you want to hang out with people doing drugs, don't be shocked when they pass you the needle yeah. or the straw or whatever the hell they're doing. See, I'm always a fan of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, but you can sure as hell drown it. <laughs> okay. I've never heard the last bit before. <laughs> You've never heard that part? 
Never. It's like the third verse of the Garth Brooks song, uh, Friends in Low Places. Not everybody's heard of it. Right. <laughs> you have to have the studio version, not or the just, live version. Or just go to a Garth concert. Been there twice. Only been once. Need to go again. Yeah. Best concert of, I've ever been to. One of the most amazing sh- each show that I've ever seen. And it was in the 90s when he was oh, at man. his top. Oh, yeah. Just See, amazing. I went like three years ago. Three or okay. four years ago. Still a great show. Well, and I remember commenting to my wife afterwards. I go, he's got to be using cocaine. That is the <laughs> only way. It's the only way you have that much energy at that age. Such a great performer. No longer swings above the crowd on ropes, I don't think, or whatever, but so good. No, I don't think he does that anymore. At least he didn't in the show that we went to. So, JP, who are your favorite musicians? Of, uh, do you... William musical influences. Yes, they have music over there, Mike. Jeez. No, I don't like if he says the Beatles, I'm not going to fall off my chair. But, you know, I'm hoping for something else. Um, I've got quite a weird, eclectic taste in music, but um, massive fan of U2. Uh, I love U2. Um, uh, ACDC, Dire Straits. Um, even down to like the old crooners. I don't know, it sounds random. Dean Martin, um, all them yeah, kind of Frank. guys. Yes, yeah. love Frank Sinatra. I've got his his greatest hits upstairs. Absolutely love Frank Sinatra. Um, even awesome. to Elton John. Um, I've got weird eclectic taste. You see, the thing, the, the weird thing with me. I don't is think weird. it's weird, it's well rounded. Very well rounded because I absolutely yeah. love disco music as well. Because when I was a lad, uh, I was brought up because my mum was, my dad was always working. I was brought up with my mum, so she would put her Gloria Gaynor CDs on and everything. So I love disco. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Uh, and I love embarrassing all of my friends when those seventies songs come on, and I start cutting the rug up on the dance nice. floor, and they're just all going, "We're not with him." <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. That's awesome. Somebody get him a water. Yeah. Uh, I, I thank you for making me laugh because I was in a bad spot a little a few minutes ago. So yeah. I'm I appreciate the, the laugh. Well, it wouldn't be a complete show if we didn't leave people thoroughly depressed at some point. <laughs> right. <laughs> Normally we take turns on being depressing. This time we were all. Yeah, depressing. it's like four times you, one time me. <laughs> I'll wear that hat. I don't care. <laughs> I'll take that. We try not to, but uh, this... Oh, look, she's back. This makes riveting radio. My daughter's... Oh, she just grabbed my small screw gun. I have no idea what she's trying to do, but I'll find out when there's a big hole in the wall. Oh, God, she just got a new iMac, apparently. So she's... You know, she's... I don't think you need a screw for that. (laughs) Brandon says you don't need a screw for that. (laughs) Oh, God. She said she got a second monitor, so she's mounting that above it. Okay. I'm going to be envious of her setup because I'm in the basement. You know. Well, at least I don't have a closet anymore. Yeah, well, coming out of the closet was good for me. It was good. I mean, it's 2021. You should be able to, you know, live your true self. Right. <laughs> and it's much cooler down here than it was in that closet. So I guess we should put a bow on this. Uh I had previously recorded for JP the names of everybody that died. 
Hold on. You read all 3,000 names? No. Just law enforcement and the okay. fire. I was going to say, holy, like, did you have a week off? Yeah. So I'm actually going to, we're going to, I'm going to edit that into play. Yeah. I don't have it queued up. Uh, I will play it on the audio portion of of our show. It won't be on the YouTube version. Yeah, so you YouTubers, you got to go listen to it. Correct. There's something for each of you. If you're watching on YouTube, you got to go to the podcast. And if you're listening on the podcast, you got to go to YouTube. So I guess we should tie this up. JP, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Oh, thank you for uh, having me. We'll have to do this again with a much more lighthearted version of the show. Yes, yes, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, can we and do then, one, Mike, next week's show? Uh-huh. No depressing things. <laughs> okay. Talk You're about not, like, I, Disney like, movies. I will come through the computer and slap you <laughs> if you tell something sad. No sad stories no in sad episode story. 21. Yes, we can do something funny like, like Vegas mistakes you've made that are funny, not tragic. Okay. Yeah. All or right. just hilarious calls you've been to. What? Sorry, my dog came up and he was whining. What do you? I see him. Usually he tap dances behind you and you can hear it on the show. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, I don't know if you heard when he very first come in. Did you see me going? Yeah. I it thought was it was mine. You, you looked that way and I saw his dog on the screen to your left, <laughs> which was awesome. I hope it stays in that orientation on yes. the video. I have no idea. Brilliant. I was checking if mine was the... Well, I think he's yeah, fast I can only keep people uh, sequestered upstairs for so long. Right. <laughs> Obviously, me too. When my daughter comes down here in the middle of the show to get two different drill guns, I don't, I'm afraid. Well, yeah, well, what I'm at least find you're upstairs. in. At least you're in your space. I'm in the the main area. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't hang your full house woodworking banner in the background. Well, I, I was already running not. behind. <laughs> I wanted people to understand geography. Oh. Ah. Okay. <laughs> This Texas is right on your head. Yeah. <laughs> Texas is always shitting on me. Yeah. <laughs> or at least California in general, and I don't really blame them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, JP, thanks again, buddy. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you very uh, much. We'll be in, I'll be in touch with you shortly. Yes. Uh, and Brandon, thank you again for joining this madness for our 20th show, 18 of which thanks. you've been on. Thanks for having me, Mike, and thanks for inviting me, JP. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> nice to meet you. Sometimes I feel like I'm just along for the ride with Mike. I don't know what that means. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's your show too, Brandon. Until you, we don't have the same views. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I don't like Chick-fil-A, then all of a sudden I might need a new co-host because you're going to quit on me. You know what? Just when I thought I had forgotten about that, you got to remind me. <laughs> it was my favorite it's thing. Not, it's not so much that you don't like Chick-fil-A. That's fine. You don't want to like Chick-fil-A. That's fine. More for me. <laughs> but the fact that you ranked Wendy's ahead of it. Like, Mike, I don't know how to tell I you this, buddy. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you're a religious man or not, but I'm pretty sure you just bought yourself a one way ticket to hell. <laughs> you know how many people have reached out to me and said, I agree with you. Well, Chick-fil-A. Well, those people are incorrect and I because I don't want to insult them. <laughs> They're taste bud challenged. Well, I was going to say thing? a different word. Okay. But I'm, Do you I'm watch Shameless? You. Yeah. Bring back retards. Yeah. <laughs> bringing back retards. That, 
That's exactly. It's like I communicated <laughs> it to you through my brain. Right. I would just I I question their mental status. All right. Well, I'm sure it's all good if they. I'm sure they're me. wonderful people, but they're probably. Wrong. So, JP, you don't have any of those food things over there that we're talking about, right? You have no Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A no, no. no Popeyes, no Wendy's. Nope. No. You guys are big on fish and chips, which is fish and French fries, right? Chips? Yes, chips. Not, well, chunky chips. Chunky, <laughs> chunky chips, like round potatoes. Please well, explain. Um, <laughs> right, this is... Uh, Maybe steak fries. I thought I yes. understood what, what the chips were. Okay, so they're just thick fries. Really, really thick fries, yeah. Okay. Where you basically where your old your grandma used to peel the spud, wash it, and then just cut big chunky long chips oh, yeah. and throw it in the deep fryer. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We're gonna have another episode where we learn more about the culture of of, London, of UK, Britain. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm fascinated. Yeah, we. I think. I was just going to say the only thing that I know that we have from America is McDonald's and Burger King and KFC. And Burger King, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Well, we don't okay. eat from our local KFC because that's a no-go area. Oh, there's a lot of food. That's interesting. Food poisoning going on in that building. Okay, <laughs> nice. Going on in that building here too, buddy. <laughs> it's a franchise thing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the full American experience. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, I'd I'd love, I'd love to. I mean, I, I have this thing where I go to restaurants and I order food uh, because I am a growing boy, um, and they put it down in front of me. And I always look at it and think, and I always look at them and go, "Is, is that the starter? Is the is there any more than that?" Um, and then I watched uh, Man vs. Food where he does all that. All the way around the year, and straight away watching that, I was I just looked. I remember looking at my dad, and he's drooling, and I just went, "We need to go to America." Uh, <laughs> and everyone wonders why Americans are so fat. Yeah, they all watch Adam Rickman going eating. <laughs> well, no, they're going like I could do that. Yeah, I've gone to three of those restaurants that he's been to on his show. Have you tried the challenges? Um, no. Yeah, why did you even go there? Because he was there. I don't know. I, look, I could understand if you did that with diners, drive-ins, and dives, because I've done that. But, like, man versus food, like, the whole point of it is the challenge. I, I would go to the restaurant, to, do the challenge. I couldn't. I would never be able to. I, Mike, I'd, Mike <laughs> be a man. So that random people can come up to your table and go, go on, Mike, you can right. do it. <laughs> I, I, it just all it does is just bring people together. Yeah. Like John Candy and the Great Outdoors. Yeah, if I get the gristle down here, you throw some t shirts for the kids. For the kids. Water mover. I've been to that restaurant. Which it's one? Up, the one in uh, the Great Outdoors. Oh, where's it at? It's up by um, Bass Lake here in California. Because it's supposed to be in the Midwest. Did they lie to me in Hollywood? They did. They did. Just like how the movie Yellowstone is mostly filmed in Utah. The movie Yellowstone oh. or the show? The show. Sorry. Oh. Right, I know that. It's actually the sneaky, the title sneaky. Yellowstone has nothing to do with Yellowstone. It's just the name of his ranch, which has nothing to do with Yellowstone. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. You're not, 
You're not shocking me, Mike. <laughs> All right. Didn't know. I'm actually going to Yellowstone next week. That's this awesome. Week. Look out for bears. I'm afraid for don't my life. One, don't be one of the idiots that I saw when I was driving through there, driving to uh, my first duty station. You said duty. Okay. Duty. Um, where it took me three hours because people were pulling off to the side of this two-lane road to take pictures, get out of their car and take pictures within a hundred feet of a brown bear. Well, there's brown bears, there's grizzly bears. I just go off of color because I'm not a bearologist. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I can't identify bears because I saw one. Oh, bear! Uh, Boy, I'm glad I'm in my car. Last two years ago, we were and there. It could eat my face. I've never been afraid hiking before ever. I've hiked Washington a few times, Alaska, uh, Arizona, Utah. When we were in the area of Yellowstone two years ago, we were in the Wind River uh, Range, and my buddy told me there's lots of grizzly here. And then we went to the great, the world-famous cowboy bar in Jackson, and they have a huge grizzly bear that's stuffed in a glass case. Monster! I started getting scared. And then... You know it was dead, right? I don't care because I was getting ready to go into the backcountry for three nights and four days. <laughs> and I just remember setting up. I think it was our second night in camp. And there's three of us, so we're each in our own tent. And some guy in the general area had set his camp up and had motion sensors that he put up. Oh. And so Dave, Dave and I were still awake. And I hear this, boop, boop, and Dave goes, Mike, do you hear that? And I'm like, yeah. It's the goes, aliens. He goes, I hope it ain't a fucking bear. <laughs> I'm like, if it's a bear, we're dead. Because it was really close, and I couldn't sleep for three nights because I kept thinking a grizzly was going to come into my tent and just tear it apart. I'm going back there Monday. So wish me luck. <laughs> we did have a moose within about... 50 yards of our camp, huge moose, and they're pretty violent, I guess. Uh, just walked right past our camp one morning. It was pretty cool. Oh, and on the way out, when we went to Yellowstone, we saw the bison, so we got out, and we're taking pictures. They were on, like, they had to be a couple hundred yards away, and maybe two football fields away. So then the herd starts moving, and they start coming up towards the road. So we're like, okay, let's go to the car. Because the car is safer than being out here. And Mark and I were in the car, and my buddy Dave thought he'd stay outside of the car. They, The bison literally walked three car lengths ahead of us across the road, and Dave was right up there with his camera. And I'm filming Dave thinking he's going to get gored by a bison, and I'm going to have it on video <laughs> as he's filming the bison I'm going by. I'm about to go viral. <laughs> I'm about to go viral. So we're going back there. So that's, what, that's what's on tap for me this week. Oh, that would frighten the life out of me. I, I don't even think if it had seen it, it was 100 yards away, I wouldn't have drove near it. I'd have took a different road and gone through a different state. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I won't invite you to the back country. <laughs> oh, well, put a blindfold on me. <laughs> okay. We're, we're still All in right. the city, JP. We're still in the city. We're still in the city, yeah. <laughs> Never mind those growls that you hear. <laughs> If we're in the city, you better have a gun with you. Seriously. Especially this city. Not the one where I live in, but the one that's, you know, 30 miles away from me. Yeah, all right. 
So I don't oh, go in hey. the city without two guns. Hey, Mike. <laughs> yes, Brandon. Uh, just because I know people are just curious. Uh, seventh direct contact exposure. I yeah. I, I realized. Still negative. I heard I that you were making out with this guy. I mean, look, when you arrest somebody and you're searching them, you get up close and personal, right? Mm-hmm. I 100% should have tested positive. Wow. Hopefully it's not dormant and just sitting in your system. I'm sure it is. I'm sure I'm a super spreader. <laughs> At least that's my goal. Stay on the West Coast. I'm telling you, man. I'm, I'm telling you, after all of this, like set, like seven times where I have like directly touched somebody that's you had You can this touch thing. them. Just don't well, stick like, your I've tongue in their throat. The same air, all that stuff. Super close contact. Or if it's as contagious as like news media and, and the CDC and all these other jackasses would have you believe, yeah. I should have had this thing like four times over. I'm starting to wonder. Starting to wonder. So if you were in contact with someone, like, do you get sent home? Or do you have to work no, the rest of your shit? No. No. We got sent so home. That's a good one. See, so they tried that one time. Nice. With, they sent a whole patrol team home. And they're like, holy crap, we're having to pay these assholes. Like, we're just having to hold over entire patrol teams from swing shift on the midnights. Like, this is too expensive. You know what? Self-monitor. If you become symptomatic, then don't come to work. And then I did the thing where I raised my hand and I have this like urge to make sense. So I raised my hand and the captain goes, yeah, what if you're asymptomatic? Right. Cause you Hello. can still spread it, but you don't have symptoms. And I could see the steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> I feel like that's a problem. <laughs> that's a good point. Worry about that later. We right. have one guy that just tested positive now. His wife had it, now he's out. So it's yeah. still around coming through our department. Yeah. So we have people that are starting to test positive again. One of the guys on my patrol team did. I, and then I he, he just came back to work, and then he went on to the <laughs> COVID list? call with this guy. <laughs> like, dude, Oh, this he just came back, and he went on your call with you. Yeah. Okay. So there was about three of us that got the email. I was like, well, hey, I'm gonna are you arrested as uh, tested positive for COVID-19? Wow. They don't even make us go get tested. I would I went and did it because we're supposed to go to a funeral at the end of next week. And you don't want to be a part of it. And well, no, I didn't want because there's gonna be old people there. I don't want to kill more people. <laughs> so kind. So I've been well, like the last three days have been stressed out because it's, you know, the fa a close family member of my wife. Right. And I would have felt really bad if she wasn't able to go to it because I got COVID and gave it to her. Right. Sorry so, for your loss, by the way. I appreciate that. So I'm not going to have very many good work stories because I'm off this week on bereavement leave. I'm off for 16 days. So, boy, our next show is going to be I, lame. I'm off for the foreseeable. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be a bunch of memories that we're going to be talking about. Remember that time in band camp? Yeah. Well, I'm going to be doing I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a lot of shop time in, so. Do you, remember, do you remember that one job that you went to? What? What? I'm a policeman. Oh, I didn't realize right. that went off that long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, JP, do you have any words of wisdom for our listeners? Uh, no words of wisdom as such. Just um, if you listen to us or you subscribe to us, have a look at our, our website um, if there's anything that can help you. If you want to reach out and share your stories, by all means do. Um, and just be careful and stay safe out there. 
thinblueLineRadio.com, right? Uh, thin uh, tblradio21.co.uk, but .com does work. It just reroutes you to .co.uk. Okay. Give that one more time. tblradio21.co.uk. Awesome. And then Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, I don't know if you're on Twitter. Yeah, TikTok? Uh, TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, he did start TikTok, right? Yes, I've got a couple of videos on there, but then it just got so... It was such you a You started paint. taking off your shirt and dancing and stuff, and you just got off mission. Then I got banned. Do, do you also have an yeah. OnlyFans? No, I don't. <laughs> no, I definitely don't. <laughs> Second reference to that, and I still don't know what it is. So this old guy has to look that up. Um, yeah, Google It's that. basically amateur porn, Mike. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't have one of those. Or the need. Although, if you go on Twitch, you see chicks sitting in pool t- pools with bathing suits on. For some reason, I have no idea. Oh, so you so maybe, JP, you can do that. <laughs> uh, well, you, I mean, I, I, I want fans to listen and watch. I don't <laughs> want to drive anybody away. I want them to be distracted, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Because they yeah. just turn it on and just go, oh, who's that in a yeah. bathing suit? <laughs> Click. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> Delete. Brandon, what? if someone... Now, we have a question for next week that we're going to bring up. But if more people would like to ask questions to our show, how can they reach us? So they can send an, old, they can send an audio file with their question if they want their voice to be heard on air to handcuffs and sawdust podcast at gmail.com or if you want to write it in you can write it into the email that way or you can send mike a dm at mm midnight maker or you can send it to me at full house woodworking or you can send it to the show page at handcuffs and sawdust podcast and that's where our last question came in so uh, we will be asking that question next week and i just wanted to add one last thing please add it Obviously, everyone knows that new episodes of the Handcuffs and Sawdust podcast are available every Wednesday on YouTube now and on your favorite podcast platform, including these two new ones, (gasps) Amazon Music and Audible. Boom, that just happened. Big time. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the thumbs up, subscribe, ring the little bell thing. Yes. that's, that's That's what YouTube people are supposed to say, right? Yeah, and I, you know, it's been a while since I made a YouTube video for my shop. Well, technically, you made a YouTube video last week. Not, not woodworking. But yes, like, comment, share, like, ring the bell, subscribe. You'll be notified of our new episodes, which you know drop every Wednesday. And one other thing I wanted to mention, I forgot because I hear walking around upstairs. Is it housekeeping? It's not housekeeping. What about housekeeping? Or house cleaning. We'll just let it go because I forgot what I was going to say. So um, for those of you that are sticking around, please stay tuned for the next few minutes. We will be playing the names of all the falling emergency services personnel that ran into the towers on September 11th, 20 years ago. Stay tuned for that. And with that, Brandon and JP, I want to say thank you very much, guys, for joining us on this very special broadcast and stay safe in the shop and stay safe on the street. From the Port Authority Police Department, Superintendent 
Ferdinand V. Maroney, 63. Chief James A. Romito, 51. Lieutenant Robert D. Siri, 39. Inspector Anthony P. Infante, Jr., 47. Captain Kathy Nancy Maza, 46. Sergeant Robert M. Colfers, 49. Donald James McIntyre, 38. Walter Arthur McNeil, 53. Joseph Michael Navas, 44. James Nelson, 40. Alphonse J. Niedermeyer, 40. James Wendell Parham, 32. Dominic A. Pizzullo, 36. Antonio J. Rodriguez, 35. Richard Rodriguez, 31. Bruce Albert Reynolds, 41. Christopher C. Amoroso, 29. Maurice V. Barry, 48. Clinton Davis Sr., 38. Donald A. Foreman, 53. Greg J. Froner, 46. Uhuru Gonga Houston, 32. George G. Howard, 44. Thomas E. Gorman, 41. Stephen Huxco, Jr., 44. Paul William Jurgens, 47. Liam Callahan, 44. Paul Lazachinsky, 49. David Prudencio Lamagni, 27. John Joseph Lennon, Jr., 44. John Dennis Levi, 50. James Francis Lynch, 47. John P. Scala, 31. Walwyn W. Stewart, Jr., 28. Kenneth F. Tichen, 31. Nathaniel Webb, 56. Michael T. Holy, 34. New York City Police Department. Sergeant Timothy A. Roy, Sr., 36. Sergeant John Gerard Coughlin, 43. Sergeant Rodney C. Gillis, 33. Sergeant Michael S. Curtin, 45. Detective Joseph V. Vigiano, 34. Detective Claude Daniel Richards, 46. Moira Ann Smith, 38. 
posthumously named Glamour Magazine's Woman of the Year. Ramon Suarez, 45. Paul Talty, 40. Santos Valentin, Jr., 39. Walter E. Weaver, 30. Ronald Philip Clofer, 39. Thomas N. Langone, 39. James Patrick Leahy, 38. Brian Grady McDonald, 38. John William Perry, 38. An actor on shows like NYPD Blue and One Life to Live, who was filing his police force retirement papers that morning. Glenn Kieran Pettit, 30. John D'Alera, 47. Vincent Dons, 38. Jerome M. P. Dominguez, 37. Stephen P. Driscoll, 38. Mark Joseph Ellis, 26. And Robert Fazio, Jr., 41.